This is GSAP Conversations from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dean Amal Andraus. Thanks for listening. Today I'm speaking with Kate Orff, the director of Columbia GSAP's Urban Design Program. Kate is also a founding partner of SCAPE, a landscape architecture studio whose projects engage issues of climate change and urban ecology while also reimagining the needs and possibilities of infrastructure and public space. Kate took the leadership of our urban design program in 2015. She also leads interdisciplinary design studios and has, as a result, developed the Hudson Valley Initiative with David Smiley. This multi-year investigation explores the relationship between the Hudson River and the urban settlements along the valley, and its results were on view in an exhibition in Poughkeepsie during January. I was curious to know more about some of the ideas that are coming out of the studios, and I know that one of them, for you across your own practice, but also now in the work that you're doing with students, is the question of water urbanism, which I think seems to tie this uh, more... Uh, close to us project, let's say, to some of the work you've been doing in um, and studio in, in in Jordan and in India. Do you want to mm-hmm. elaborate a little bit on what yeah. is, what is water urbanism? Yes, yes. I mean, I think I think even just to you know try to wrap up the discussion, the Hudson Valley. What what connects these communities is the Hudson River mm-hmm. itself and the economies and the ecology and the, the sort of the, the, the literally the the, the watershed. Um, um, and so that has been that reframing of um, the Hudson Valley Initiative around the Hudson River itself has been, in a, you know, a big part of the project. Um, but in a similar way, um, uh, the students in so we teach I teach in the spring semester um, a studio on global cities and climate adaptation, and we have taken on this. Um, Problematic or and opportunity of, of water as a kind of a driving force in the design of sort of future cities. So, um, so in the past couple of years, through this water urbanism, you know, focus, we've looked at um, cities like Madurai in and Tamil Nadu in India, which originally was formed around a series of holding tanks and channels that really formed literally the the basis for settlement pattern in this region. It was a water-scarce region until these water collection infrastructures were devised. Um, And now those very systems are imperiled through plastic pollution, through through sewage, through all these other things. So what, what really water urbanism is about is trying to reframe you know the city not as a series of collection of buildings with public spaces but to kind of look at this underlying infrastructure and landscape and geographies and territorial uh, you know to kind of re repaint the territories um, from which cities derive and and how can these territories of water also then kind of launch them into a future that is potentially more sustainable um, and um, it's not that we don't look at the forces of modernization, which are incredibly powerful, right? The, the sort of um, uh, the, 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 the boundless kind of um, cheap, cheap oil, the you know, crops that have become more monoculture and really changed um, entire soil chemistries of entire regions. Um, these are all incredibly powerful 
environmental forces that profoundly change what we think about as a city and the footprint of a city. But um, I do feel like that water is somehow a key to getting us out of the current situation and hyper-dependency on fossil fuels uh, that we are in now. So um, similarly, um, to, uh, this, this semester, students are looking at um, Amman, Jordan, and really the entire Jordan River Valley and have done an incredible job researching the vulnerability of the water system in Jordan and um, really uncovered some profound relationships between the, the urbanism of, of Jordan and um, its sort of highly dependent and climate fragile <laughs> water systems. Um, so when you think about a city in 2050 relative to climate change, relative to increasing desertification and temperature. It's really a very different um, set of parameters that we need to consider than, than those that we kind of are considering now. I think it's really interesting to flip the question of water on its head a little bit, whereas I think right now we're hearing a lot about you know, resiliency in terms of creating these edges, you know, walls that separate land from, from rising waters. You're looking at it, uh, which, which I know in your own work you've, you've kind of pushed against by creating much more soft infrastructure. And, but you're, you know, as a landscape architect, you're, you're always, you know, flipping it where you're thinking about the section, what's happening underneath, you know, how is the ground uh, actually composed and these layers... Uh, uh, that that contain water, and you know, so you're looking at what is under and then what is over in terms of the the water that 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 feeds these built these kind of settlements. Um, but you also are, are shifting the scale constantly, and I know that it's one of your um, big focus uh, is is to kind of how do we think across scales. And one of the terms I think that you coined for us very early on is this question of scales of environment to mm -hmm. kind of. Uh, constantly, you know, connect the smaller scale to very kind of large scale, system scale, and to have students and architects, you know, to, to think across scales, which is, you know, uh, one of our expertise, in fact, mm -hmm. uh, to move kind of beyond the object and understand that it's always already perforated. Um, and how to visualize mm -hmm. that. And I, I, I wanted to, you to talk a little bit about the question of scale and then the question of visualization, which I think is quite important here at the school, but I think it's also important in your own work to make invisible things mm -hmm. and systems visible, in fact. Um, um. Yeah, within, uh, within the program, just to you know, continue on the, the discussion of, of Jordan, which has been so fascinating, especially relative to scale, uh, we have an incredible um, depth of faculty uh, in that sense. So um, on the one hand, we have uh, Laura Kurgan, uh, who is a director, director of the Center for Spatial Research, who has done very, very large-scale <laughs> mapping uh, of politics and, uh, and um, resource, and myself, and more sort of resource extraction. So the students, um, we are a team-taught studio, so students have not only sort of um, Laura Kurgan, who's looking much more broadly at almost satellite imagery and understanding territorial scales and political scales, economic um, aspects. Um, myself working more at a kind of a middle scale, 
uh, students also have uh, faculty like Ziad Jamaluddin, who's an amazing architect who then um, brings uh, these larger questions, we all work together to bring those larger questions down to the scale of a unit or a building or a fragment of built landscape. So, um, and, and then you, you, you quickly realize that relative to climate change, there is not you know, a site scale or one kind of building operating in isolation that can truly address some of, these, some of the issues that we are, are now facing. Um, but when you begin to think of units of transformation or modes of transformation and be able to think about them in the aggregate and couple those, uh, that physical concept with social and political strategies for embedding that, then, then you, you start to really talk about an urban design um, uh, a practice, a mode of practice that is very different from the forms of practice that we were looking at in, say, the 60s mm-hmm. or, you know, when urban, you know, even in, within the space of the Columbia Urban Design Program, you know, we had Alexander Cooper and, and you know, individuals who were incredibly prominent uh, but who were essentially almost designing pieces of a city that were uh, like Battery Park City, for example, or um, implementing a master plan. And, and we are, we are um, teaching our students and, and in very differently <laughs> now uh, because they need to be able to um, operate differently uh, in, in light of not only climate change, but also in light of the very different um, political and, and social systems that characterize you know, um, you know, the, 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 the urban context now. It's not just a, a top-down, you know, capital-intensive system. Many of the changes that I think will be happening are coming from really ground-up transformations and so you know that's one thing in addition to scale um, that that we've emphasized in the program is this reciprocity between pairing always a sort of physical uh, intervention in design I mean we are designers we design in studio but pairing that sort of physical um, design intervention always within a very um, defined um, uh, social context so another another faculty member who who's been important in that arena is Gita Mehta. And so she's um, worked to devise the system of social capital credits, right? So change needs to happen. I mentioned the example of Madurai. You have a a clogged water bodies. You have a a river that's almost gone dry. There's no one government entity or private entity that is going to sort of come down and just alight on the situation and address those issues. But through this concept of sort of social capital credits, you can mobilize multiple kind of grassroots um, organizations toward a common purpose and begin to make change in, in these contexts. So I think that, that that's something else I think is really a sort of hallmark of the program is always this, this nesting in between the physical and the, the social mm-hmm. reality. I think it's really interesting how that thinking is impacting um, you know, the school as a whole, and even, I think, uh, many of the people here who are engaged in, in, in practice, but who wants to engage in forms of practice that are really kind of contributing, um, not only to the larger thinking, but kind of larger, or, or finding new new ways of, of, of sort of uh, participating, in fact. And um, it, it's also interesting for me that, uh, you know, the answer if there is an answer or at least the way 
to work with these questions of climate change are not uh, necessarily, you know, technological answers of, you know, more a, a more performative envelope or, mm -hmm. you know, a building that, you know, is self-sustaining or it's, it's actually much more about the kind of horizontal shifting of scale and to, to work through the scales. You know, in fact, all of the disciplines of the built environment, ironically, uh, have been, you know, separated along this question of scale, right? Preservation is like the scale of mm -hmm. the material, the mm -hmm. brick, architecture is the building, urban design is uh, the sort of middle scale master, master plan, right. and then planning mm -hmm. is the region. And in fact, you know, these si this siloing is what makes it very difficult to, to, to really address questions of climate change, which are um, um, both a problem in terms of... S you know, temporal scale, you know, right. how do we, right. how do we register, um, I think when we had Deepesh Chakrabarti give his keynote speech at our climate change conference a year ago, you know, the question of how do we connect uh, the scale of our human life with, the, you know, the geological shifts that we're um, sort of experiencing. And so, um, uh, and, and how to make all of that visible, I think the kind of social, mm -hmm. um, um, engagement uh, um, is, you know, can really add up as as these these kind of smaller forces can can be given a voice or participate um, in in the design. And um, I wanted to ask also how that feeds back into your own practice. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, you know, you've developed many of these ideas um, as a result of. Um, your work on resiliency here in New York, and uh, and I think understanding how long it takes to to um, build oyster beds, and I wanted you to talk a little bit about that and how your your teaching is informing your practice and, and vice versa, and what is exciting right now at at Scape. Yeah, well, there's there's a lot that's exciting at Scape, and I and I do feel like um, even though. I sort of keep a firewall between the the the, pra the work of the practice and the the Colum you know Columbia um, academic sector, but there's so much seepage just in terms of I mean literally, you know as a younger landscape architect um, and starting my own practice, teaching these international studios and seeing the kind of range and depth of 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 challenges, seeing the challenges that cities around the world share, understanding what makes them different, understanding that, that it doesn't matter how beautiful a sketch that you make or <laughs> that, that it's really this sort of um, uh, social and political context that, that enables a project to, uh, to have a trajectory in, in, in the world and, and understanding, in my mind, my critique of landscape architecture really grew out of my work here at Columbia and with our, our, our colleagues that, um, you know, that, that um, a, a sort of a unique, you know, landscape design is probably only able to be achieved in this kind of like hyper late capitalist moment where you have a, a, a city with a huge tax base that can pay $60 million for a park. And is that really what I want to be doing? And I think my answer in that case was no, that I wanted to try to understand um, other forms of efficacy and how you could imagine and deliver a project in a completely different way that is the architect performing the professional service for the you know the, the people who is the, the, the developers and so on who have accumulated the most capital to pay for those I mean I just feel like so my whole practice um, you know as described in the toward an urban ecology book 
has has evolved in a with a very different set of priorities, with a very different set of of, of methods, and that kind of tries to circumvent and, and jump over some of those established you know professional norms of landscape. And so, um, so I'm really you know a lot of that came out of Colombia, and now I'm kind of putting it back in, which is which is a really exciting point, and I'm so really thrilled to be be the director and kind of be able to shape that. But scape is you know. Um, is 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 I think in an exciting period now because many of the very early ideas of the firm, you know, um, I talk about water urbanism. I truly learned to become an urbanist through studying Jamaica Bay, which is a water body, um, you know, uh, a salt marsh um, out, you know, by uh, people know it as by JFK Airport. But but by literally understanding Jamaica Bay, I understood New York City in a profoundly different way than I would have had I begun to just study, you know, uh, Sanborn maps or something else. So so that has shifted and, and transformed the entire way that I read cities and see cities. It's been very powerful. And a lot of those early lessons from Jamaica Bay have translated into my work with, um, urb, you know, ecological systems as infrastructure and, and, and translated into my work with these kind of top-down, community-driven <laughs> um, initiatives that actually have made real change at the regional scale, which most people can kind of sketch but not implement. So we're in, this, in the exciting point now where we are literally getting an EIS statement and an Army Corps permit and uh, you know, um, um, state DEC permit for some of this regional scale work that, was, that, that I think you know, many as people aspire to, but the pathway toward impl implementation is less clear. So. Um, uh, through this uh, federal grant that we uh, won through this, or, or that New York State won through the Rebuild by Design uh, competition, which is something that President Obama and, and uh, started post um, post Hurricane Sandy here in New York to to spark innovation and in infrastructure. We're we're now having we now have a funded project that's. Um, has a plan and a section and an environmental impact statement and um, a series of legal, you know, processes for community meetings. But then we've, of course, taken that and then, you know, expanded that into much richer um, uh, pilot for not only social um, engagement, uh, but also uh, for ecological design. Because it isn't a restoration project, it is pure design in the sense of of, of there is nothing there to restore, and so we are literally building a new um, uh, rocky structure habitat uh, that uh, will basically, you know, reduce reduce waves, um, clean and filter the water, and kind of restore and and, and regenerate um, the shoreline and all the kind of social and economic and you know shoreline life that was once part of Staten Island's culture. So design is 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 everything in a sense and today it's you know I, I we often say it's not enough to first of all you don't want to be you know either stuck in theory or stuck in practice it's actually finding the kind of you know what are the what is the discourse that practice suggests but also uh, designing a practice today is as much part of uh, uh, the project uh, of any practice than the practice itself, and it's something that I, has been recurrent in my conversations here with architects and and faculty. You know, finding ways, new modes, designing new modes of practice that allow you to engage in the in the ways that that are sort of important and meaningful. Um, 
seem to become have become a kind of integral uh, part of, mm-hmm. of one's one's project. Um, so one last question. I know you're kind of cooking up uh, an idea of an Earth Studio with the Earth Institute, and uh, you know, given our politi- you know current uh, political climate, I think these kinds of uh, initiatives are really um, critical. Do you want to say just a few last words about you know moving even beyond the interdisciplinary uh, at the scale of let's say the school or the scale of the disciplines of the built environment to engage scientists and engage lawyers and and you know to to bring that that it, it's a moment where the kinds of the, the the form of practice that you've created now is informing. I think the kinds of studios that you're mm-hmm. starting to construct. Yes, I mean, I do feel that it's a critical juncture for Columbia University as well, in the sense that institutions such as Columbia will just play just a much greater role um, relative to um, a, a sort of degraded funding context and context where science and the arts and humanities and environment are are, are all kind of um, attacked, frankly. So, um, so yes, I think Columbia needs to step up. And, and I th- the Earth Studio concept was along the lines of exactly what you've described, which is not only what do what do we need to try to understand of what designers can bring to bear on these kind of um, on these discussions, the the most critical discussions uh, of now with relative to climate change and migration and livelihoods uh, and um, the future of of global cities, um, but how can we you know act differently and at in a in a in a in a, in a much more iterative way with scientists right in the past. Scientists provide, you know, abstract modeling and some baseline against which designers, you know, criteria against which we fulfill or try to meet those criteria. But I'm really calling into question that entire mode of operation and that entire mode of, of um, a way that uh, people interact. And uh, so that with the Earth Studio concept, the idea is that us as a sort of a Columbia, a GSAP faculty would work in a much more intensive context with uh, not only civil engineers with uh, hydrodynamic modelers with um, legal experts to be able to understand how can how can we kind of play a role relative to bringing capacity and expertise uh, in, in uh, for uh, cities on the brink you know we you know many of us at Columbia played a key role in new york 's response to hurricane and irene's uh, Irene and Sandy and myself in the kind of planning and design context. Cynthia Rosenzweig and uh, Radley Horton. There, um, there's, there, there are many uh, Michael Gerard. There are many um, Columbia uh, faculty uh, who who were really instrumental in in helping shape our response. So, in my mind, we need to keep doing that, but in contexts which have are severely, you know, uh, uh, which which do not have this sort of literal. Um, uh, 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 monetary intellectual capacity that that we are we we enjoy in today in New York partially out of the um, benefits of having burned so much carbon and uh, <laughs> so so I feel like it's really time to give back frankly to not just follow a funding stream but try to define and articulate projects that would have meaning and purpose um, and that Columbia as an institution has a role to play I mean we are Columbia University in the city of New York. So clearly we have a role to play in our immediate environs, but in this globalized world, how can we begin to define 
projects and places and sites and continue our kind of deep partnerships with some of these places and, um, and, and really kind of play a role in building a bridge to the future for some of these cities that are on the brink or who are challenged with extreme scarcity of water or drought or inundation. And so with the Calcutta studio and with the Amman studio, that was like a little mm-hmm. pilot of some of these uh, thoughts. Fantastic, Kate. Both are really important and inspiring. So thank you. Thank you so much. You can find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu.